And it's time for Kingdom Kids. If you're ages four to nine and you'd like to go with teacher that is waiting out in the foyer, you want to meet him back there right now. And parents, right after the service, you'll go over there and pick them up. And we're appreciative of all those who serve in that ministry week by week. Rest of you would invite to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 through the end of the chapter is our text for today. If you're not quite sure where that's at, uh, the page number for the Pew Bible is in the order of service in the, in the worship folder. There's an outline on the back that will help you follow along with where we're going today. So we've returned, of course, to our series in 1 Samuel. It's covering the period of Israel's history uh, when it became a monarchy. But today's passage is not about Israel's quest for a king. It's about the sore lack of faithful leadership among the priests. Now, you might feel like you've heard way too many exposés of religious leaders and their moral failures. And believe me, I get that. Uh, These stories can be sickening and discouraging. They make some question their faith, some even walk away from it. But we need this story from 1 Samuel 2. We need it to remind us that scandals like these are not new, so we shouldn't be surprised when they happen. But it doesn't mean that we're complacent. No, it means, if anything, we need to be on guard, taking precautions because these things happen. We need this story to go beyond the juicy gossip typical of our news media and social media that focus on the tawdry details of the sex and money and power when the real problems are bigger and the roots of sin go deeper. We need this story because we need to see things like God does. He gives corrupt religious leaders his strongest condemnation. So I need this story. Our minister, ministry leaders need it too. And I pray it will be part of what God uses to keep us from crashing and burning. You need this story, especially, you're like, well, I, I'm not a leader. Well, you need this story because you're under leaders, under leadership. And, and perhaps some of you have been wounded by bad leaders in the past. You need this story because it gives hope that God will not let things stand as they are. He will make things right in his time. Justice is on the way. Even better, justice and mercy is on the way. So I want you to hear both warning and hope, both threat and promise in our theme today. It's going to be up on the screen. God will remove unfaithful priests and raise up the one his people need. God will remove unfaithful priests and raise up the one his people need. I'm going to read the whole passage here at the beginning so you can see the way that it keeps pointing back and forth between Eli's sons, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, and Hannah's son, Samuel. Back and forth, again and again. Our text is 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 36. I'm actually going to add one sentence more on either end. So, the end of verse 11, speaking of Samuel, it says, And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. 
The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh uh, to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father, Aaron, when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel." Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him... 
a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. This is God's word today for us. You can see the outline. We're going to look at this in three parts. The priests they had, the priest we need, and the priest God gives. Let's start there with part one. The priests they had. Ministers who are self-serving and abusive are guilty of despising God. Verse 12 gets right to it. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a picture online of a sign posted outside a Unitarian Universalist church in New York City. The sign said that their church is, quote, a God-optional community. A God-optional community. What? Why, why would you want to go to a church like that any more than you'd want to go to a mechanic who doesn't know a wrench or a tax accountant who doesn't know a W-2? It sounds like their pastors are worthless leaders who do not know the Lord. The, these Israelite priests do not know the Lord. What an indictment. Now, back then, the people of Israel did not have the luxury of saying, well, I'm just going to go to another church down the street. This is the tabernacle. This is the one place that God has established for his dwelling, the one place where they can make atonement for their sins, bring their offerings of worship, celebrate their fellowship with God, and it's been corrupted by these worthless priests. And you can see it in the way that they handled the food offerings. Verses 13 and 14 describe this custom of the boiling pot, sticking the fork in it, and so on. Now, none of that comes from the Old Testament law. So perhaps we're supposed to see that worship practices had already been, been drifting away from God's instructions even before Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, according to Leviticus 7, the priests were indeed to get a, a portion uh, of this offering. That was always part of it. It was how the priests were provided for out of the offerings that God's people brought in worship. The problem here was that the Lord was supposed to get the fat uh, to show that they were giving back to God out of the abundance that he had given to them. So the priest then would get his portion of the meat for himself, his family, after, after the Lord got his due. But that's not what the sons of Eli were doing. So verse 15 and 16 again, Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Now, that might be a little confusing to you because you're, you're maybe used to cutting off the fat from your meat. Trying, you're trying to be a little more healthy. But if you're the cook, you know that meat's better with some fat. And Hophni and Phinehas knew that as well. So they decided, well, why should we get less than the best? Why should the, all the good stuff get wasted in worship? That was their mindset. Naturally, if you don't know God, 
You don't care about genuine worship. You don't care about serving God, honoring God, uh, or you don't care about serving people. You're serving yourself. That's exactly what they were doing. But even worse, they turned abusive toward the worshipers, threatening them with violence. Give it to me, give it to me now, or I will take it by force. Now, it said that the, the priest's servants were doing that. They, got, they have their thugs, their goons, doing the, their dirty work for them. But effectively, this was the priests that were doing this. This is, could have just as well been Hophni and Phinehas, the, uh, their words. It's their attitude. Now, think with me. In the New Testament era, in our era, ministers today are provided for out of the people's offerings. Uh, Logan and I are provided for out of your offerings. But every so often we hear about ministry leaders who are embezzling funds, uh, taking what belongs to the Lord as their own, but, but cooking the books is not nearly as brazen as what these guys are doing. I mean, imagine if I, or one of my thugs, was standing at the offering box on Sunday morning. And when you came up to put your offering in, I said, hey, hey let me see that. Okay, you got a you got a fifty twenty, few singles. Uh, I'll take that fifty. You say no, no, no. You'll you'll get what the church has budgeted for you. That there's a there's a plan for how you're provided for out of the offerings. And, and I say, hey, you're either going to give it to me or I'm going to take it. What do you want it to be here? I mean, that's what's going on at God's tabernacle, and that's just one example of their corruption. Look ahead to verse twenty two. Now, Eli was very old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, Exodus 38, verse 8, is the first place in Scripture where it's mentioned that women ministered at the entrance of the tabernacle. I mean, it's, it's an easy detail to miss, uh, though I think it's worth noticing. Um, we don't know all their tasks or responsibilities of their ministry, but even though the priesthood was, ex- was only men, the wider ministry at the tabernacle included both men and women, priests and Levites, men and women. Now, as horrible as it is for the, the pastor who ran off with the, sec- the church secretary, it's sad that that's a cliche in our day. In this case, uh, the text doesn't tell us if the sex was romantic or consensual, if someone was seduced or someone was raped. Here, read this in context. We are told this as part of the bigger picture of these self-serving and abusive priests. And Hophni and Phinehas are held responsible. They are guilty. I, I don't know if they said to these women, if you won't give it, I'll take it. I mean, it's clear that that's how they operated, right? I don't know if they manipulated these women. Like I read in one recent scandal, a leader whose name many of you would recognize told the women who worked for him that he was under so much pressure doing the Lord's work that he really needed it. Or, oh, you can't tell anyone because that would ruin the ministry. Folks, that is pure evil. That is sinning against God and abusing God's people. The ones here responsible to lead worship are corrupting it. So we read verse 17 again. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. This is how God sees it. Very great sin. Great, of course, not like 
Yeah, it's great. Really good. No, great as in huge, massive, horribly great. And not merely the sins of greed or lust, it's treating worship with contempt, taking what should be a weighty matter and treating it lightly, taking what should be special and treating it as garbage. Or in the words of verse 30, later on in the passage, God says, you are despising me. You're treating worship, the offering with contempt. Well, what you're, what you're doing is you're despising me. Now, if you're a God-optional community, maybe that doesn't bother you. But we care about such things. I do. We do. And I hope you know that we take precautions to prevent such ministry malpractice. I, I don't touch the offerings, the, the money that comes in. Two reliable and unrelated people, not including the bookkeeper, count it every week and take it to the bank. Uh, also, I will not meet with a woman in my office when there is not someone else in the building as well. We've got windows on our office doors for accountability. If I'm working on a sermon on a Saturday afternoon when the office is closed, the door's locked, the lights are off, and a Sunday school teacher comes to work on her classroom for the next day, I'm turning on all the lights, I'm unlocking the door, and typically I'm texting my wife to say, hey, just FYI, just, just letting you know what's going on, and I don't, typically don't get into conversations. I go back in my office and I keep working on my sermon. That's protecting everyone. That other person, me, the reputation of Christ, and this church. Now, that's not to say that I'm above. I don't say that to let you know, make you think that I'm above temptation and sin. It's because I know it's possible. And it happens more than it should. And it's because I don't want Sam, 1 Samuel 2 to be my story or our story. It's because I remember Jesus' haunting words in Matthew 7, 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Pray that your pastors would not be worthless men who do not know the Lord. Pray that God would bless this church with good, godly leaders and, and see how this passage should give us hope. It's not just a, a sordid tale that makes us all feel icky about worship and the life of God's people. No, there's, there's hope here because at the very same time that their ministry leaders at the highest level were corrupt, right next to them was one serving faithfully, little Samuel. And there were still faithful Individuals and families like Elkanah and Hannah, worshiping according to God's word and living under God's blessing. Knowing Hannah's story about her infertility and, and waiting for that boy Samuel to come, we're excited, we're happy for her, you know, that she gets more, more children. But, but understand the picture there, that God is still at work among his people, that God is still ready to bless. He is still, after long periods of drought and emptiness, He's ready to come and bless and fill our lives again. God was already working on the next chapter of Israel's story, raising up a new generation of godly leaders. And it's right there in the text. In fact, in the Hebrew, the words for great in verse 17, their sin was very great in the sight of the Lord, has the same root 
as the word grew in verse 21. The boy Samuel grew. So I wonder if you're picking up what I'm laying down here. So the sin of the leaders was so big. But at the very same time, God's next leader was small, but he's getting bigger. He's getting bigger. Church, don't let the next scandal destroy your faith. Look for what God's going to do next. He may have already started. Let's read the next cycle of this back and forth passage. I'll read again from picking up verse uh, 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. This is part two. The priest we need. Sinners must have a mediator to restore their relationship with God. So this part homes in further on the sin problem between Hophni and Phinehas and God. But don't miss how God's people, the congregation, so to speak, factor in as well. Verse 22, Eli kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. 23, I hear of your evil dealings with all, from all these people. 24, no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. Now, God's people were the victims of this ministry of malpractice, and they were talking about it. Uh, it sounds like maybe some were gossiping about it. Uh, probably some were complaining about it. Maybe some even were rightly pleading with Eli to do something about it. Either way, Eli confronts his son finally. Finally. It seems that he had to hear about it over and over again from all kinds of people. He waited till it was spread everywhere before he said even anything about it. Now, before we get to what Eli said, think about the importance of reputation for ministry leaders. It's easy to make the connection from this story to the New Testament where we see qualifications for uh, leaders in the church, elders, deacons, and so on, uh, that say that they should not be gluttons, right? That, you can see that in this story, right? Uh, they should not be uh, domineering, um, abusive. Uh, they should be a one-woman man uh, if you're a pastor, um, male deacon should be a one-woman man, a faithful man. All that goes along here with 1 Samuel 2. But I hope you also see why it's important that church leaders should be, in the words of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 10, above reproach. Above reproach and blameless. It doesn't mean they're sinless. What it means is their integrity should be evident to all people. Their integrity should be evident to God's people and even beyond God's people to the wider community. 1 Timothy 3, 7 says they should be well thought of by outsiders. Now, non-Christians might not like what we teach. They might not like that at all. But it, they should see our integrity as being above reproach, blameless, someone you can trust. See, a, a faithful person will be seen as trustworthy. 
That's important for leading God's people. Now, if we care about the reputation of Christ and his church, we're not going to ignore the problem when everyone can see it. Uh, Yes, there are protections against false or flimsy accusations in the Old Testament law, as well as in the New Testament, like 1 Timothy 5, 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But as we've seen in history, in recent history, too many stories in too many churches failed, they they failed to confront sin in their leaders or failed to do so sufficiently because they didn't want to hurt the church. That's what they're saying. Oh, we, we didn't want to hurt the church. But what hurts the church more? To, to expose the sin that's there or to ignore what everyone knows? We should be discerning when it comes to accusations of sin. Yes, but don't criticize someone who's courageous enough to tell the truth for the good of God's people, for the reputation of Christ. Eli was slow in confronting his sons. And we'll see in the next point, he, it was pretty half-hearted at best, but he got a few things right. He said, he, ca- he called it sin. He called it evil. I mean, he just was right up there. And then there's this dagger, the, the first part of verse 25. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Now, if anything should have pricked the consciences of Hophni and Phinehas, anything should have brought conviction of sin, it's this because, understand, to be a priest is to be a mediator. That's what they are. That's what they were supposed to be, someone who stands between God and his people, bringing them together. The people give their offering to God through the priest. The people bring their sacrifice for sins to God through the priest. And that's why I shifted the titles from the first point to the second, from the priest they had in Samuel's day to the priest we need. Because this is not only true of of ancient Israelites. This is true of sinners throughout history, human beings, everyone, you and me sitting here today. Now, yes, we don't have priests in this church. There's a reason for that. That's coming up in a minute. But we, we do need a mediator. We sinners cannot saunter in to the presence of the one and only holy God. There must be a sacrifice of atonement through the ministry of a mediator. If you've wronged God, who can help you restore that relationship? That's the big question here. If you, and, and kick it up a notch. If you're the minister If you're someone called to help others in their relationship with God, who can you turn to when you're you're the one who's blown it? Well, the answer is still coming to that that question in the next point. But you're probably wondering about the end of verse 25. I just read the beginning of verse 25. The end says, But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, whoo. See, if, it, if that doesn't stun you, you're not reading carefully. See, it, it, what's stunning about this is that it doesn't say they didn't listen, so the Lord decided to put them to death. It says they didn't listen for or because it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. To use another way the Bible speaks, God hardened their hearts. Now, I do think that the best way to understand that is to conclude that they had been so long in their sin 
that they, frankly, they missed the opportunity to repent. According to the Bible, it is possible to reach the point of no return. But hear me, hear me say this. The, the, the point of that, of seeing that, is not to say, oh, wait a minute, have I reached the point of no return? Am I beyond repentance? Am I beyond saving? Is, is God just, he's up there and he's like, nope, sorry, buddy, you're going to hell. Is, is, is that, that's not what you should be taking from this passage. Listen. Don't fret over the question, is it too late for me to return? Instead, hear this call. Turn now. Repent quickly. Repent today before it is too late. And you can do that, folks, right now in this moment, this moment right now. Or you can pray with someone after our service. We're gonna, we'll have some, uh, a couple of folks up here toward the front who would love to pray with you. Now listen, they are not your mediator, but they can point you to the one who is. They can walk with you. You can reach out to, they can help you find the one who can get you to God. We're still getting there in the sermon. Now, Verse 26 is another quick peek back at Samuel. Samuel, I mean, things are really bad. I mean, they, they've, the sin has been confronted, and they've said no, like, oh, man, there's no, but, oh, it's okay. Samuel's still there. Samuel's, Samuel's still growing. He's, he's, he continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Again, seeing how the, God's people are brought into the picture as well. Let's uh, continue reading from there. Verse 27. And there came a man, to, a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me, shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out to grieve his heart and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, that I may eat a morsel of bread. It's a very sober ending to that, but, but it was a hard word that needed to be heard. It was a hard word for Eli, but I hope you hear the, the hope, I trust you hear the hope that is extended to God's people. Part three, 
the priest God gives. God acts for His glory and our good as He provides a forever faithful priest. Now, we don't know how much time passed uh, between Eli's confrontation and the arrival of this man of God, but nothing had changed for the better. Then this, this man of God, this prophet, uh, shows up. This is someone who speaks for God, thus says the Lord. And he confronts not the sons of Hophni and Phinehas, but their father Eli, who should have removed his sons from their ministry because of their unrepentant sin against God and his people. Verse 17 told us that Eli's sons treated the offering with contempt. But listen again to verse 29 confronting Eli. Why then do you, now that you is plural, Hophni and Phinehas, yes, and you, Eli, that's who he's talking to. Why then do you scorn my offerings, sacrifices, and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel? Eli is guilty too. Sure, Eli wasn't the one demanding the meat. He wasn't the one threatening the worshipers. But this verse says he was fattening himself on what his sons took in. In fact, chapter 4 is going to tell us that, that Eli is a heavy man. So it's almost like we need to back it up. We need to reshoot that scene uh, from earlier in the story, the, the last section, we got to reshoot that scene in our imagination. Um, you got to picture Eli bigger. It, it, big, big old Eli and his young adult sons are sitting around the table. And in between bites of sirloin, Eli says, what's this I'm hearing, boys? You shouldn't be doing all that stuff. It's just, it's just wrong. Hey, Phineas, pass the A1, will you? Uh, that, that's, what's, that's what's going on. According to the prophet, Eli was slow to confront because they were his sons. But this is also saying Eli was slow to confront because he liked what was on the menu. Personal benefits from hanging around others who are willing to break the rules. Oh, I don't break the rules. I'm not part of the problem. Oh, but you like hanging around and, 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 and uh, getting the benefits of being around those who are willing to break the rules. Hear, hear this. This needs to happen in churches. It needs to happen in ours and, and, and in others. If you are in a position to confront a leader who is in great sin and you don't do it because of your relationship, I mean, your, you, your friends your, or your, even your family, um, you don't do it because your relationship or because, the, but the church is growing. Our ministry is thriving. We can't, we can't you know, stop things now. We can't confront this sin now. And you don't do it because of your relationship, or because of the growth of the ministry, you too will be implicated in the guilt of their great sin, just like Eli. In chapter 4, we're going to see the prophecy begin to be fulfilled. All three die, Hophni and Phinehas on the same day, and Eli too. Okay, so then who's going to be the faithful priest that God provides? Who, who will God raise up for himself, verse 35, not, not, which is to say, not just that God will do it himself, like, okay, if you guys aren't going to get things right, I'm going to have to do it myself. Not, not that. He will do it for himself. It's because he will defend his honor when no one else will. 
Who's it going to be? Well, just the way the story is told, we keep, it keeps pointing our eyes back to Samuel, right? Back and forth, back from Hophni and Phinehas to Samuel. And it seems like it would be Samuel. He's, he's wearing an ephod in verse 18. That was mentioned later by the prophet in verse 28 as part of the priestly garments that, that uh, they wear. But you need to know, Samuel is a Levite, so he has, he, he's, it's appropriate for him to be working, ministering at the tabernacle, but he is not in the line of Aaron. That means he could, he could serve at the tabernacle, but he could not serve as a priest. Now, maybe you think you know what, where this is. Okay, so there's someone else that's going to be full fulfillment, and you, you think you know where this is going. Well, you're probably, you're probably on the right track, but let's, let's, before we get there, before we go all the way there, I should at least mention that it was not until the days of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2, you can read that on your own, where there was the final removal of Eli's descendants from the priesthood to a different line of descent from Aaron in the person of a priest named Zadok. That was, just a, that was a, a generation or two after this time. But the greater fulfillment would come much later still. The Gospel of Luke in the New Testament gives us a, a little nod toward connecting Samuel in Jesus. Maybe you've noticed that already. Uh, when it echoes, the Gospel of Luke echoes 1 Samuel 2.26. So, verse 26 here in our passage. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Now, listen to Luke 2, verse 52, speaking of the boy Jesus. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hmm. Sounds just like Samuel. Uh, sounds just like the, the kid that we were looking at when we were, when we were wondering, what's God up to? Is God doing anything? Yeah, God's, God's, God's doing something. Look, look at this guy. Look at Samuel. Look at, look at Jesus. At the time of Jesus' birth and his Growing up years, Israel was led by corrupt leaders, both politically, think Herod, the Romans, and religiously, think above, about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And frankly, their, their sin was great. But praise God, Jesus was growing. Their sin was big, but Jesus was getting bigger. God had not abandoned his people or aborted his plan to save them. Now, when I say that Jesus, then, is the ultimate fulfillment of this promised faithful priest, I would understand if some of you careful Bible readers are a little confused because, Bruce, didn't you say in the sermon last, well, a couple weeks ago, when we looked at verse 10, just above in this chapter, chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, verse 10, Bruce, you said that the anointed referred to the king and then ultimately to, literally, the Messiah, so if verse 35 says, if this coming priest, this faithful priest that God's going to raise up for himself, if this coming priest would serve the anointed one, well, it can't be the same guy, right? Oh, but, but that's where we don't always appreciate all that Jesus is. See, when Jesus comes, he is the ultimate prophet, speaking for God, the great high priest, the only one who can take us into God's presence. He is the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. He is the everlasting king of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, there are other leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, pastors, 
elders, deacons, deaconesses. Yes, and yet there's only one leader. There's only one prophet, priest, and king. There's only one mediator. Listen to this passage you probably know from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Maybe it's been interesting to you how many times I've referenced 1 Timothy in this sermon. 1 Timothy 2 begins this way. Uh, Let me just read it. I'll have more to say about it. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. I have to admit, until putting this in combination with 1 Samuel 2, you need a mediator. Well, who's the mediator? Jesus. But I hadn't really thought about that whole section in light of this verse. Uh, you know, First Timothy 2, pray for the governmental leaders. Uh, Noah, by the way, Jesus can help you, save you from your sins. The point, the connection, how it all fits together, I think, is this. So often, we are looking to our human leaders, governmental, religious, any people in authority, and we're like, okay, you're the ones that's going to help us. You're the ones that's going to fix things. You're the ones that's going to save us. And he says, Paul's saying in First Timothy 2, Okay, A, they're just human. You need to, you need to pray for them. They, they're, they're, they're fallible. They're weak. Uh, some of them are messed up. You need to pray for them. Don't just, don't just talk. Don't just gossip about them. Don't just complain about them. Pray for them. Appeal to God to, to help them to get things right. Because God cares about all people. You hear that in that passage. He wants all people to be saved. And to come to repentance. He's concerned about the people under those leaders who may be doing a great job, may be doing a really bad job. God cares. So pray for the leaders. God cares about the people, and you need to know the one mediator. That's Jesus. That's 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 the that's the hope. That's the that's the one who's gonna fix it. That's the one who who you need to rally behind. That's the one who, even though we have leaders that are are fickle, fail, failing, fallible, uh, Keep, keep your eyes on the one who's coming, the one who's coming next. Folks, that's Jesus. And I just turned my, there we go. Found my, I, I lost myself. If you know, let me, let me close with a few things to say to maybe two different kinds of people here this morning. If you're, if you know yourself to be guilty of great sin, whether you're a minister, a pastor, a leader in some kind or not, um, Jesus is the mediator you need. He is the sacrifice for your sin. And when you come to him, not, not me, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to help you find Jesus, but understand that I'm not the mediator. Jesus is. Not this, this church is not the mediator. Jesus is. But we want to be the fellowship where Jesus is the leader where he is the king, where he is the priest, where it's his word as the prophet that has spoken. And when you come to him, he will bring you back into relationship with this good, faithful God. If that's where you, what you need today, folks, don't, like we said earlier, don't wait. Don't, don't, don't say, oh, not today. 
I, I don't know when the point of no return is, but I, I'd say today, listen and turn. Come to the Lord. I want to speak to somebody else who might be here listening this morning. If you are here or watching and you have been deeply wounded by a self-serving and abusive pastor or some other leader, first I just need to say, I'm genuinely sorry. I mean, I'm not apologizing for myself in this moment. I'm just sorry that it has happened to you. And I pray that it was not here at this church, but if there's something we need to deal with it, then let's deal with the sin and let's get you the help that you need. Second, for the, for the same group, hear this passage saying that even if there's a long time when it seems like the bad guys are getting away with it or, or that when they're exposed, it seems like, huh, are there any good guys left? Know for sure that God is going to come through. He came through providing Samuel for that generation. He came through providing Jesus for his day and for our day, for you and me today and forever because there's no one coming after Jesus. There's no better priest that's coming after him. There's no better king. He is the forever faithful priest that God promised. So don't give up faith in God because some leaders have failed you. Some leaders have hurt you. Look to God a more righteous father than Eli. Look to Jesus, the perfect son, and know that he is committed to his glory and to our good. Let's pray. Oh God, preserve us. Not that not saying that we are everything that we ought to be right now and we just need to uh, hold steady. We're just asking that, God, we know our weakness. We know human sinfulness. Things like this happen. And God, in your mercy, in your providence, in your power, would you preserve us from such great sin? I pray specifically for our leaders, our pastors, elders, deacons, deaconesses, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, uh, people who work with our children. God, preserve us from great sin. Keep us from great sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And God, for those who, are, who, who need to... to need to find the mediator today. God, we pray that you would save the lost, turn sinners back to you through Jesus Christ and help those who are hurting. We pray, God, that you would do this. Perhaps more, well, trusting that you are more vigilant than we are, trusting that you care more about your honor than we do. Make us people who honor you above our most cherished relationship above any blessing, any, any favor, any prosperity that we think we are enjoying in life or in ministry. God, we just want to honor you and trust you with everything else. Help us do that as your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.